Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And with the late microphone adjustment, I'm Jim Dwyer. And kind of comfortably hot out there. I think it was two years ago when Memorial Day was over 90. But yeah, uh, yeah upper two. 70s, not bad. It's a pretty good run of like uh, five nice days in a row. Yeah. It's and just luxurious. A couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at mid-30s at nighttime still. So it's uh, still like... Getting a little, you you know, takes a little while to get used to. We don't have enough 70-degree weather in Michigan some years. Uh, yeah, Sustained, I'm, you know. I'm down with that. <laughs> but uh, we aren't really out of the woods completely on uh, frost warnings yet. You can get a frost as late as uh, a week into June for your gardening purposes. A lot of people using the day for uh, that sort of thing. Yep. Don't good. put your basils in quite yet. Good day to do it. Well, lots of election news over the weekend. You got to love uh, the Ukraine uh, for electing a Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, <laughs> Petro. You got to love that name. <laughs> a billionaire, chocolate magnate. Well, chocolates. If you can't sell chocolate, it's an easy product to sell. Uh, Especially are... when you've got Oompa Loompas doing your labor. Uh... Sure, how that works out for him there in the Ukraine. Yeah, now he's obviously kind of a business-oriented uh, government guy. He's been in the previous governments of the Ukraine, so we're not European-oriented. Yeah, he seems to be almost kind of the ideal choice at this moment for this time. And I think that there's been a lot of overblown hysteria about what's going on. Obviously, there's continues to be some thuggery. Here and there in the uh, eastern part of Ukraine, and these are probably not uh, Soviet troops, so to speak, or Russian troops, but probably sort of irregular forces, gangs, people trying to create problems. And very interesting to see in the EU parliamentary votes, which is kind of a symbolic uh, unit, um, that um, the UKIP... <laughs> this uh, this this guy looks like a true wanker. This uh, Nigel Farage. It's interesting that there was a New York Times Magazine feature on this fellow just a couple of weeks ago uh, by uh, Jeffrey Wheatcroft, a kind of very highbrow uh, political analyst from Great Britain in the May 18th edition of the New York Times. If you want to check that out, more of the details about him. But I think what's interesting about this sort of uh, move to the right, so to speak, and of course there are some leftists that are voting for these uh, protest parties. Uh, they're they're more concerned about the banking, the banking issues and the austerity measures. And it's weird how politics, as the saying goes, sometimes makes strange bedfellows. But I think on this issue of the immigration and the whole. Uh, I don't know what to call it, a sort of a nascent, a renaissance, a renaissance uh, shall we say, uh, nationalistic movement in many of these countries. Nativist. Uh, somebody called it an earthquake. I think that was the leader of France. I don't know that it was an earthquake because I don't exactly know what the EU parliament really does. Well, they meet in it Brussels. It's is, kind of a symbolic organization, sort of like a House of Lords without portfolio. 
I mean, uh, lots of these uh, folks who are, you know, being swept under this large umbrella of immigration in Europe, it's all, uh, as they say in Germany, Gastarbeiters, guest workers. These are mostly folks who uh, were born in former colonial holdings of these various European powers and um, go back to the colonial motherland, sometimes for an education, sometimes for work, because they've got the language skill necessary to get the crappy job there. And then uh, this is the response. Yeah, and I, the interesting thing about this Jeffrey Wheatcroft article is the title of it is A Spot of Tea Party. Of course, the British are famous for drinking tea. And the Tea Party seems to be disintegrating as a party here in the United States as recent primary results here in America have continued to come in. Uh, Mitch McConnell staved off a challenge from the right which is kind of ridiculous since yeah i don't know how you get more conservative than mitch mcconnell you get between the paint and the wall i guess you know obviously ted cruz is more conservative but the tea party uh here never in the really a, a real official party i mean no with a hierarchical organization it was never probably going to be that it's in many ways a, a creation of uh, off-screen billionaires. Yeah, and it's it's got some elements of grassroots uh, participation to it, no question about that. But it is its numbers are greatly exaggerated, and I think early on in the game, as I pointed out, they really were racist, uh, plain and simple. Uh, they they started talking about the deficit, but I was kind of wondering where they'd been uh, on the deficit issue when Ronald Reagan and George Bush had been president. And we've seen this silliness uh, about the deficit uh, in, in this related pseudo-scandal involving the VA. Right. Obviously, it's Memorial Day. And uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, because of America's misguided war policies over the last uh, 10 years in particular under George Bush, interesting to hear uh, Obama make a surprise trip to Afghanistan yesterday and reiterate our withdrawal from that country. Um. What are the the people demanding uh, Shinseki? Why are they demanding his resignation? Now, he may need to go. Uh, he seems to have a <laughs> inability to express anger very well. I'm mad as hell, and I'm going to continue to look like Buddha here, stone-faced. Um, he might have to go, but I, this isn't going to solve the fundamental problem of supply and demand regarding the VA uh, medical situation. Uh, there are... Too many vets in need of care. And it ignores the fact that uh, many estimates point out that 50 to 100,000 Americans die every year because of their inability to get health care on a timely fashion or due to lack of insurance. So, uh, you know, all of the sound and fury over this VA um, scandal, and I don't even know that it is a scandal, obviously. Well, it's an Falsifying old. records is a yeah. scandal. Uh, but uh, the VA is always, you know, it used to have the problem of uh, the, the excessive number of World War II veterans that required um, medical care towards the end of their lives. Um, but, you know, that's sort of uh, one of those obligations that uh, it's pretty ridiculous to crimp on. Everybody uh, loves to stand up and salute the vets. You know, yeah. in all sporting events, they do that. And on television, Support they do it whenever the possible. Bumper the stickers. Politicians <laughs> with the little pins on their lapels. You know, yeah. I support the troops. I wear a flag pin and support the troops on your bumper sticker. Uh, 
<laughs> if you can't take care of your injured vets, uh, why is anybody joining the army? Well, and uh, the thing is, is that the, the obvious lack of resources and the com continuing complaints about this, this is nothing new. So Congress is obligated to, to appropriate more money. What are they doing? Trying to cut the government and right. cut taxes at the same time. There are jobs to be created here in helping take care of our injured veterans. And, of course, some of these uh, veteran facilities in rural areas are, are so far away for, for many uh, veterans to get to. You know, they've created these regional, regional facilities. In fact, there's one here in Ann Arbor. And I'm sure that the care in Ann Arbor at the Veterans Hospital is... Uh, more than more than adequate uh they certainly ref, uh, have university of michigan uh physicians helping out up there and obviously in emergency situations the university of michigan takes care of the vets so it's it's really about uh resources and facilities and probably doing some serious reorganization of some of these veterans hospitals and the huge tracts of land out west because when you read about the fact that, you know, a veteran in Idaho may have to travel 500 miles to get to a hospital, you you, you got to come up with some creative ways in which uh, the private sector is used. Uh, European countries uh, like Germany and France that are regularly pilloried on uh, American television programs on Fox News Network, uh, they... You know, you sign up for health care and you can get treated wherever you want. The government pays the bill. So you need not have exclusivity, I would say, for the veterans' hospitals. And that's probably where the hearings need to go rather than all of this harumphing about Shinseki. I think that Shinseki is just simply residue from the Iraq War. Of course, he famously testified before Congress and I believe, in fact, resigned from the military about the inadequate number of troops that the Bush administration had contemplated for occupying Iraq. And, of course, the veterans' hospitals now are dealing with the aftermath of the Vietnam War and these disastrous wars in the Middle East. Um, well, and, and, I mean... That the critics are actually voted for. Right. <laughs> Uh, and of course, the the Vietnam vets are now the older, you know, guys. Um, but the other thing that's uh, maybe not being taken into account here is that more vets in the current day situations are surviving serious injuries than would have in years past because of medical advances on the ground. Yeah, field unit teams, and so there are more crippled and maimed uh, soldiers exactly. surviving, and so that places a greater burden on the rehab uh, facilities and stuff when they get back here. Um, it's probably also worth pointing out while we're going on about the Memorial Day thing here that uh, the old ballyhooing of uh, patriotism and, you know, support the troops. You can't not support the war because that's not supporting the troops. That's something that critics of uh, America's foreign policy blunders are often, uh, you know, sort of criticized for. You don't care about the troops. But... Uh, Really, the only ones who've benefited from uh, our excursion into Iraq are pretty much BP and Shell. Uh, we're about as free as we were before that war, uh, if not a little bit less free. And the government of Iran, we should point out. <laughs> oh, yes, that they uh, stood to benefit as well, as uh, everybody sort of foretold who had a critical eye on the facts on the ground, the real facts on the real ground, as opposed to the uh, hypothetical 
vial of anthrax that uh, Colin Powell so shamelessly waved about. Um, and it's also kind of sobering and somewhat sickening to realize that we've been at war this entire century, the 21st century. For yeah. 14 years in, not a year without war. And as I like to point out, we've had three presidents from Texas, and they've had us in war every single year they've been president, except for the last five weeks of 1963, when uh, <clears throat> the government was not adequately explaining how and why John F. Kennedy was killed in Dallas, Texas. So I find it kind of odd that uh, the Republican Party wants to promote two more Texans, uh, Rick Perry and used head cheese salesman. <laughs> Ted Cruz. Scary stuff, uh, but not surprising uh, since, uh, well, as uh, recent uh, polls and Gallup uh, polls have indicated, 58% uh, of Republicans believe that God created humans in their present form within the last 10,000 years. Uh, Kentucky, by the way, has a creation museum in which it, uh, <clears throat> according to its website, it uh, continues to promote Adam and Eve live in the Garden of Eden. Children play and dinosaurs roam near Eden's rivers. Yeah. Dinosaurs lived with Adam and Eve. Yeah, well, there's a guy who's stretching his uh, faith in the holy text because there's no dinosaurs in the Bible. That sounds I like the Flintstones to add Flintstones to me. I was gonna say, is uh, it what was his name? Dino. Dino. Dino, <laughs> Dino the just, friendly dinosaur pet. Yeah, that's right. Just pedal on over there in your foot car and uh, go to the Creation Museum. So we'll give them a brain damage award. I'm sure that <clears throat> Mitch McConnell. Visits the Creationist Museum in Kentucky. Frequently. Yeah, they've got great corn dogs there. <laughs> yeah, corn dogs and corn cob pipes, no doubt. Kentucky, a beautiful state. It is, actually. Lots of tobacco. Lots of lakes. And by the way, if you ever get a chance, definitely check out Mammoth Cave. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's, that's a mind blower. Mind blower. Uh, of course, on this uh, EU... Uh, earthquake i would call it more of a rumble and grumble uh since yeah we still don't exactly know what the eu parliament does in brussels they pass resolutions i'm sure they're an advisory board but uh even uh, they wield not much power this ukip organization led by nigel farage doesn't seem to have any actual seats in the british parliament that may change in upcoming elections we will see it's very interesting that in the April 24th edition of the New York Review of Books, George Soros opined on a variety of issues connected to uh, uh, foreign policy, Ukraine, Merkel, the EU, etc. And I did want to point out what I think was one of his really good observations. He has a number in this interview. It's in the April 24th edition of the New York Review of Books. He's essentially interviewed by... Uh, Gregor Peter Schmitz, which is uh, going to appear in a book, The Tragedy of the European Union, Disintegration or Revival, upcoming publication by Public Affairs, in which he talks, I think, 
about the crux of the of the problem with all of this sort of nationalist backlash uh, going on in various countries. Soros uh, states, when uh, Schmitz asks a question about what have you learned, he says that there is an unbridgeable conflict between North and South. This is Europe, of course. <coughs> on the political asylum issue, the countries in the North, basically the creditors, have been generous in their treatment of asylum seekers. So all of the asylum seekers want to go there, particularly Germany, but it's more <clears throat> than they can absorb. So they have put in place a European agreement called Dublin III, which requires asylum seekers to register in the country where they first enter the EU. That tends to be in the South, namely Italy, Spain, and Greece. All three of these countries are heavily indebted and subject to financial austerity, fiscal austerity. They don't have proper facilities for asylum seekers, and they have developed xenophobic, anti-immigrant, populist political movements. Asylum seekers are caught in a trap. If they register in the country that they arrive, they can never ask for asylum in Germany. So many prefer to remain illegal, hoping to make their way to Germany, they are condemned to illegality for an indefinite period. The miserable conditions in which they live feed into the anti-immigrant sentiment. Now that, of course, has remarkable resemblances even to the United States, mm -hmm. though we certainly don't have this uh, debtor-creditor problem. We certainly have a disparity, for instance, in tax revenue uh, allocated to southern states in which northern states do subsidize southern states to a great degree. Uh, look at all of the military bases down south, and look at all the VA facilities down south. Of course, at the heart of the uh, VA scandal at the moment seem to be hospitals in Republican-run states, <laughs> by coincidence. Surely. Uh, is that a coincidence? Who knows? Uh, but I think that that is the essence of part of the problem uh, that, that were part of the explanation for what is really going on in these uh, these uh, political movements occurring in Europe at the moment. And um, it's ironic, marginal, but, you know, when 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 groups are getting 15 to 20 percent of votes in elections, uh, there may indeed become a four party movement in Great Britain. We'll see. I don't know how. Uh, uh, Nigel Farage is uh, is going to uh, fare in the future, but he certainly was lapping it up last night on the BBC. <laughs> With his wanker party. I don't know if he was riding a dinosaur around anywhere, but, uh, well, uh, luckily, this Loch Ness mon monster is alive and well in some of the uh, charter schools uh, where they teach uh, students down south about Scotland. <laughs> and all the fairy tales that uh, Loch Ness monster that go with it. Yeah. Pretty ironic that uh, Germany should become the European country of, uh, you know, highest on the list of desirability for political refugees. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I mean, just on a personal note, when I was a uh, an eight-year-old boy, my father, who taught European history, was in charge of a. Uh, work abroad program in Germany. In the late 60s, Germany, uh, due to <laughs> World War II, had a decisive lack of male workers for their uh, 
industry. Mm -hmm. And they used to uh, actually encourage American college students to go over there and work in the auto factories, temporary jobs. It allowed uh, regular German workers to take their infamous six-week holidays, that sort of thing. And uh, if the uh, very strong labor uh, movement in Germany, that's and if if those one of the reasons to go there, college guys that were and they were almost all guys, um, <clears throat> uh, took their pay in in Deutschmark, they benefited quite quite handsomely on the conversion because mm -hmm. back when I was a kid, the Deutschmark was worth four. For Deutschmark to one dollar when they did the conversion, it was one point seven. So the, the mark went up uh, well over fifty percent relative to the dollar. This, of course, was preceded Richard Nixon taking America off the Bretton Woods standard, and it's well established that in uh, the late sixties, uh, the French and German banks were um, demanding gold for greenbacks. The, there was a fixed exchange rate of $35 to an ounce of gold. So the bankers that got paid in gold with $35 worth of greenbacks uh, are quite wealthy today. I don't know if you've checked out the price of gold lately, but it's uh, somewhere around $1,200 an ounce. That would have been a good investment. Uh, I'll take my pay in Deutschmark. <laughs> And I'll give you these dollars for gold bars. <laughs> well, of course, now it's it's really too late for the average uh, who would have known investor, this small-time investor, to get active in gold. <clears throat> but it's on all those right-wing chat shows that you get all those advertising for buy gold now. It's an investment hedge, right? And, you know, it's a secure future, dude. It's too late to buy into gold. Well, and it's also somewhat mythical that we we have uh, any real signs of inflation. Uh, of course, housing is is one exception, and there is has been a little bit of uh, food inflation in certain items. A very interesting development in the lime business. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, those are uh, the price largely of lime weather related. Well, in this Going case, back it's, to this harsh winter that we are. Uh, it's it's also cartel related. The uh, the Mexican oh. cartels have discovered that they can make a killing uh, restricting the supply of limes. Now, how can we drink our tequila? The tequila, the you know, the the, the Asian uh, style of of uh, of. Um, now my daughters will understand why I always buy a lime. Marinate, marinating uh, your beef and your your noodles and uh, lime juice, that sort of thing. Thai cooking, Thai cooking. Know. Oh boy, it's uh, Vietnamese cooking. It's all in, and so yeah, the global demand for limes is uh, rapidly. Uh, exceeding the supply and oh, some drug cartel people in Mexico legit. realized, hey, <laughs> we've got a Get new capital to go legit. <laughs> it's like the concrete industry in New Jersey. <laughs> well, it's it's a, a remarkable because well, I've been in New York quite a bit the last year, and I remember, it's, you know, part of it is seasonal. The, the, this is probably not the right season for limes, but I do recall that last summer you could buy eight limes for a buck at a local supermarket around the corner. Uh, this uh, <clears throat> winter, it was uh, three limes for two bucks. That's uh, that's a big change. Yeah. And then there were even some weeks where it was a dollar a lime. <sighs> Luckily, squeeze. I don't drink squeeze on the lime. <laughs> Luckily, I don't drink tequila, but I do like well, my I Bloody like the Marys. Old vodka tonic. Uh, it's good with lime. Yeah. There, so uh, well, and the Bloody Mary is is better with lime than lemon, but. Uh, 
You can use lemon for a lot of those uh, saute things just as a, a tip. And uh, eh, the limes, we'll see what happens with them. But very, very interesting how the lime market has been hijacked by the drug cartels of Mexico. <laughs> and, of course, the Mexican immigration problem continues to uh, bedevil uh, Obama in a, in a kind of a perverse sort of way because uh, he's actually established records for deportations. <laughs> And, of course, the Republican Party loves to talk about the issue quite a bit, but not do anything about it. That's sort of their modus operandi politically. Obstruct, obstruct, complain, whine. Drag feet. Oh, and let's have another hearing on Benghazi. <laughs> let's give them a... Because someone didn't put the paper clips away. They were left out on the desk yeah, there. Let's we give uh, them a brain damage award for bringing that back up again. Apparently, there's going to be another... Yet another hearing in the Benghazi incident. Uh, hopefully, I, I, you know, I wish that the Democrats would say fine, but let's look at Ronald Reagan's bombing of Benghazi in 1986 and how that may have contributed to the terrorism problem in the region. Uh, while we're at it, why don't we investigate the Laura Logan uh, Benghazi story that came out last uh, fall, right around election time. I doubt that the Benghazi investigation will be terribly thorough. It's obvious that the uh, Hillary Clinton is the is the target here, and uh, I, I don't think there were many votes swayed at the last second by the Benghazi uh, events, one way or another. Uh, American Americans paying attention to foreign policy these days seems to be like at an all time low. So uh, all of these uh, election results from around the world, you know, a new, a new prime minister in India, uh, Ukraine, uh, elections are actually underway as we speak in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Big, big stuff going on. But uh, I don't know that we've heard the last of the Benghazi story. <laughs> but where it's going, nobody knows. <laughs> well, what they'll probably end up doing eventually is like... Uh for example, the Coen Brothers film Fargo has recently been turned into a sort of a mini-series story involving those characters. Uh, they'll probably, on Fox, uh, make a Benghazi show <laughs> and just turn it into a TV show and continue to write their own version of it as best they can. Yeah. Starring Hillary Clinton. And who knows if she's running, you know, the announcement a couple of weeks ago that Chelsea Clinton is expecting that could put a crimp into her plans. Who knows? Maybe she would rather prefer to be a grandmother. Who knows? <laughs> I don't think it's certain that she's running, but all the all the factors point that in that direction. But I think it will be a catastrophe for the United States if we have a Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush kind of race. I just ugh. I'd, I'd bring over the chocolate man. <laughs> Let, let Petro. Well, that might be the time for Alfred E. Newman to finally get the uh, write-in presidency he so richly deserves. How about Petro, uh, what's his name, Pot, Potmoshevko? Yeah, Puff. put that paper away. Yeah, I failed to write down his last name. I have Petro, though. <laughs> I think we'll just call him Petro in the future. <laughs> it's got a ring to it. <laughs> Oil. Oil, chocolate, money. <laughs> Easy to remember. Petro, well, he yeah, he did make announcements that he's uh, 
looking to kind of negotiate things with with Putin and uh, <laughs> I don't well, know. You know. I think just, I think a lot of the Ukraine thing may damp down a bit. I really do. Well, I, I think so too. Actually, it's just it's not going to be good for business, and there's too much uh, business uh, to lose there. Uh, just a few minutes left in the program. I'd like to thank Tex for engineering tonight. Uh, you can catch him on the Down Home Show on Saturdays, as well as uh, Bill Monroe for breakfast and uh, other shows. He turns up. Yeah, speaking of Tex, I, I heard that the singing black cowboy died today at the age of 100. Forget his name. Hmm. I heard that at a late breaking story on NPR when I. I'll mention real quickly, too, that uh, you've got until Thursday, listeners, to uh, catch the new Jim Jarmusch film at the State Theater. Uh, Cinetopia is starting up, which is pretty cool. There's a lot of interesting stuff there we can talk about later. But uh, <clears throat> this new uh, Jim Jarmusch film, it's called Only Lovers Left Alive, uh, partly shot in Detroit. It's a very good film. Uh, typical Jarmusch work, funny, thought-provoking, atmospheric, great soundtrack. Don't miss it. It's very good. Yeah, I am been meaning to get to that i i when i saw the review the reviews about the vampire stuff i you know i i am not into the vampire no no it's it's a pretty <laughs> washed out uh genre but this yeah. does all the right but tola swinton is is a, she's a, great outstanding yeah, actress it's, it's so very it's, good it, i'm sure it's worth seeing i've seen a lot of his other works it's quite very strong. interesting in today's new york times that paul krugman <laughs> Has this startling fact in his uh, in his column, and this is related to the uh, debate about Europe and the whole uh, European Union, what what not? He he notes that he'll be in Portugal for a couple of days talking about the uh, European Central Bank. He says, "Here's a startling little known fact: French adults, in their prime working ages, 25 to 54, are substantially more likely to have jobs than their United States counterparts." We hear it all the time, the opposite. Ah. Facts are facts. Thanks to Tex. Uh, do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding, licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Good evening, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and it's time for Yazoo City Calling, our weekly exploration into early American blues traditions, broadcasting to you live every Monday night at 7 o'clock since 1988, when Jerry Mack started the program. My name is Weston Hughes, and I'm your host. If you'd like to call and make a request, 734-763-3500 is the phone number. Tonight's program is dedicated to phonograph records made from 1926 to the year 1950, beginning with this performance done by Blind Blake in Chicago for the Paramount Record Company of Grafton, Wisconsin in the year 1929. 
This is Blind Arthur's Breakdown. Thank you. 